2: Ode to poetry, on the verge of composition, yet I cannot cross the brink. I am like a lame musician, all I seem to do is think. One can dwell on many things, I dwell until he's grey. But the poet's thoughts like blue smoke rings keep fading away.
3: Jim Craven was a poet from a uh, a little townland called Balregan, just outside of the town of Dundalk, about three miles outside of the town, um, lived on top of, of a countryside hill in a little cottage. And I think um, his notoriety as a poet has probably grown since his death.
2: Here I clasp and grasp and grope, yet still the candle clean escapes me, leaving me bereft of hope. Poetry? Ah, don't forsake me. Just after he died, we went into
4: the and John B. Keane's, and Jim had met Keane previously. So I told him he was and I told him that Jim had died. And he said, oh, I remember him. I remember him well. I remember his poetry, and he said he was very good. And I got a lovely letter back where he described them as a genius. And coming from somebody like John B. Keane, you know, to have that sort of written tribute to him, was fantastic.
2: Poetry, pure crystal gem, as cinders in the fire, black as soot up the chimney, sweetest singing in the choir.
3: So since his death in 1980, um, a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to bring his work to the public, if you like. Um, people from the States, people from here, um, family members, um, I suppose to try and make people aware of the the genius that we believe he was um, and people like John B Keane who also said that about him, they thought he was a genius uh, from a poetic point of view and how he lyricised and used the English language peppered with bits of the Irish language as well um, was I suppose characteristic of, of how he wrote his poems and indeed his prose.
2: I will follow you forever, you may lead me where you will When you're wading through the river, look behind you on the hill Upon that hill I'll always be, like the eagle or her prey Until on wings of posy, you and I can fly away
3: My name is Deirdre Craven and I'm a niece of the late poet Jim Craven. We lived right next door and there was a hole in the hedge between our house and where he lived with his mother which was the homestead of the Craven family, so where my dad and his brothers and sisters all grew up. I was seven, hard to believe, when he died so I was only a child so my memories of Jim are those of a child. Um, but I have some very vivid memories of him. He had this huge big head of white hair that I always describe like candy floss. That's the easiest way I can describe it. Soft and fluffy to the touch and uh, and I suppose with a child's mind it's probably exaggerated in my memory um, but he had a big mountain of a belly and he had a big flossy head of hair. Mm-hmm.
0: My name is Paddy Craven. Jim was two years older than me, so we were close together as children. Well, we are where Jim was brought up in Balregan, and across the road from the house at that time, and still the same, is a large grove of trees, mostly beech, beech tree, you know, and he often referred to that in his in his poetry,
2: children of the trees, and we etched our initials in the grey bark with hammer and chisel between the road and the leaf shaft drain. Three artists at summer school. I carved nave breed. The planting was ours all day. The lawn our moss-fush playground. Cricketed, footballed, sprinted till the sun heard from the man in the moon's curfew and grin.
3: The homestead is directly across the road from an old, what would have been an old English estate. If you can imagine a big Georgian house sitting in a big lawn with very mature woodland around it. Deciduous oak, beech, all sorts of ash, all sorts of beautiful um, deciduous trees. And these tower over the cottage. So when you look out the window of the cottage or you walk out the front door of the cottage, um, you know, particularly on a spring or summer's day, you know, you're overcome by these ginormous trees that tower overhead. Um, and, you know, when the weather is fine, they're just a joy to behold. Like, you know, they really are. And I think he was very connected to nature. He spent his childhood playing out in this area literally across the road from the house his sisters would have worked in the big house um, you know and so, so they earned a living from it but him and my dad and his, his other brother it would have been their playground
2: The sticks we gathered were ours Marks A you. Head behind trees, behind the hedge I fell on the Calvary umpteen cowers since the moon races madly down the beaches. Lensed in jolly in water, life begins at 40. Uh,
4: a, lot of his, uh, a lot of his poetry, the simple stuff, the nature poems particularly, have a, a very soft... Um, his approach is, rather than the sort of hard, uh, rural uh, rasp to them, they have a very soft, very natural tone. I'm Jerry Murphy. Um, I'm uh, proud to say that I was a very good friend of Jim Craven's. Uh, he, uh, got uh, Jim got a great kick out of life. Uh, he was, what we, in a simple description, Jim was a real character.
3: Jim very often would be indoors, if it was morning time, perhaps reclining on a chaise longue in the front parlour, uh, sleeping off what I know now would have been the night before when he would have been quite jolly on the town, perhaps. Uh, But at the time, you know, as children, we just assumed he was having a snooze. Um, And we'd run in and we'd jump up and jump all over him on the the chaise long. And he never had a bad word to say to us. Um, Always let us run around him, jump around him, whatever time of the day, it didn't matter.
4: My kids always admired and loved to see Jim coming because uh, be he, Drunk or sober, he would entertain again, the kids he would always entertain and there would always be a pocket full of sweets or something like this, you know. There was a a real, uh, very genuine, friendly uh, nature to him.
3: Jim would walk by um, at a given time and we'd always ask him you're nosy. Where are you going? What are you doing? Can we come? Can we go with you? Will you take us to the river? As he had a tendency to do. There's a river just at the bottom of the road from our house um, where we'd love to go paddling in the river throwing stones. Simple kid stuff. And very often he would take us and he'd lie up on the bank and he'd let us paddle in the river. And when we finished paddling he'd put us sitting on the bank and he'd take out this big white handkerchief and he'd shake it off and he'd dry our feet with this white handkerchief, put the shoes and socks back on and walk us back up the road. And they are my memories of Jim, my most vivid memories of him.
2: April showers. A heaven sent shower of young ones as I stroll. Shall I go down and mingle with their innocence? Chash, watching living water. I hold my middle road with folded arms. Play the pretending senior, stealing looks. I wave, surrounded by she's. They gallop across the Andalusian fields, the primrose girls are walking with their mats. Up the hill behind me, the full of my mind of April showering roses.
0: A lot of his poetry would be spontaneously written. He wouldn't go back very much to go over it and over it and try and change a word or a line, you know, it was... That's the way it was and that's the way it stayed. He would arrive having had
4: uh, at least one too many the previous night. Uh, You'll have to hear this. I I composed this last night. I met a lovely girl and I decided I had to commemorate this in, in verse. And he would recite. Of what he had written the previous night and it was but it was quite good even in his raw state.
3: He wrote poems about my brother he wrote poems about different nieces and nephews you know he could meet somebody on the on the street or in a pub who'd had a child and within five minutes write a poem about this child from a few things that this person had told them and handed to them like on the back of a you know a cigarette packet or whatever it might be. He would be writing on anything maybe maybe an old
0: calendar when he was a rent collector, there were sl- flimsy account sheets, you know, and he wrote poems on the back of them, or anything that was available. It was just poetry on the, on the spot, you know. Occasionally, I would will, I will get a, a poem back from somebody, Ma- Maureen or Mary or Eileen or Lizzie, t- telling me that he wrote this to them and they were now returning it, you know. <laughs> For Caroline
2: and all the lassies. A rhyme, lassies, on laughing days. Jesus, I'll swallow them live without salt. Wait the haze and bales and cocks, and I'll ate them and drink them at Toad's Hot Rock. Bernadette, Betty, Caroline, Anne, Reverend Princesses, frotting the fane. Girls, if you only knew how happy I am with my white haired 40 nappy getting at 40 my second wind. Money, job, nothing matters, but gobbling joy from your cream crown platters. The coolie dance, sour the night, Devers and Gilly will honour bright. A toasted sandwich to 7-7, will we ever get any nearer to heaven. Tell the sun to hurry well up and warm the backside of Toll's Cow Rock.
0: The great Seamus Heaney arrived to Dundalk and that would be when Jim was considering himself at the height of his powers as a poet, and this stranger from Northern Ireland arrived up to Dundalk to give a reading of his poetry. And Jim shouted up from the audience some some remarks. I gathered that he wasn't just that happy about an intruder onto his Premises, you know. <laughs>
4: he really was larger than life in every sense. Fabulous entertainer, like uh, really uh, a funny guy. In the very early sixties, uh, ballad craze, Irish ballad craze was in it going very strong, and uh, we had uh, the Clancy Brothers and Tommy Makem had revived all. using the old ballads and giving them a bit of an upbeat twist so we formed the ballad club uh, here in Dundalk and that's how I got to know Jim
0: and then we got into pub drama. A pub drama uh, is a play in a pub mostly about maybe local events, local characters, little little songs thrown in uh, about local county councillors and Jim would have been one of the leaders and he would he would write most of the material. Some
4: of the scripts that he uh, created for those pub dramas,
0: brilliant, and some of the parodies that
4: he created
0: were very, very funny. I remember one they did even at the very end. Uh, 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 the, the Pope appeared.
1: <laughs> In 79, uh,
4: the Pope, had come to Ireland. So for our 1980 pub drama, we had the Pope arriving into the pub. We had a guy who had a real resemblance to the then Pope. And we kitted him out in the gear and and had uh, uh, a lot of the local politicians, all of the characters in the pub dressed as local politicians, falling over themselves to welcome the Pope into the pub. It was a send-up on the whole thing about the mania of the Pope coming and people had got so wrapped up in the whole thing. We went on tour to carrick Macross, which is a town only about less than 20 miles away. But we rehearsed for this and on a Sunday evening we performed in a lounge in Carrick Macross. Very small audience who hadn't no a clue what we were doing. The only way we saved it was we stopped the performance and just started singing ballads and got a great reception, everything was fine. Craven always said that it was his masterstroke, that he was the one that decided we weren't really winning the audience, so we better sing a few songs. And we expanded then and uh, actually moved north and done some of our stuff in one fabulous occasion a lovely summer's evening in a place called Matheralyn in Northern Ireland and uh, we based uh, most of our stand-up stuff on gerrymandering of the political situation in Northern Ireland and uh, there was a rather stony silence from the audience (laughs) I looked at him and I said, I think we'll cut. keep going, keep going. <laughs> and we kept going and finished to absolute silence and walked off. We had, so talk about knowing your audience, we had to to the totally wrong audience of what we were doing. Once the pr- troubles actually started, he uh, very much resented the violence. it was the idea of violence was just total anatomy he, he, he absolutely hated it
3: living where he did and where I grew up you 're no distance from the border um, but yet you're totally insulated from it at the same time so um But he would have traversed the border for various reasons and be it be it to go to different theatre events or or, uh, drama festivals and stuff like this. Um, And I think I remember hearing some story about him at one time that he was either in a play or he was in a pub drama or he was in something. And his character was a priest. And I think he had borrowed some priest's clothing. And uh, for whatever reason, he was up north doing whatever it was they were doing. And he didn't take it off him. And he kept the priest's outfit on him while he was coming back knowingly that he would have to come through the border check. But I think he probably assumed as the priest he'd have no bother getting through, you know. And I think he had great conversation with some of the young English soldiers who stopped him at the time. And I think he was putting on very much an act that he was a religious brethren and, I, I, I think he did as much as you nearly know, almost bless them, you know, um, on his way home. And I think he had great, great crack and great fun.
4: Part of his mission, if you like, was to, uh, to preach peace, but uh, to be nonsensical as well, so that people wouldn't focus too much on the awful stuff that was happening down the road. That concentrating, having
0: a couple of drinks, and a bit of fun. We lived through the Northern Ireland troubles, of course, and he he became very, very annoyed with what was happening down there, and and he did write a couple of critical poems, critical pieces, uh, and a bit of sarcasm as well. Free speech.
2: If I could fairly open my mouth, openly speak my mind. If I could fault the low moon or spell pretend or just like any normal pig what's the passing wind I'd be able to say god's good nothing wrong with gun or bomb so long as you give a warning
4: we started to have bombings and no warning uh, bombs or false warning bombs one of his poems talks about uh, you know uh, bombs and it's it's all right once you give a warning but meaning, of course, that it's not. Uh, he he felt very, very perturbed by the uh, all the, the the violence thing.
2: Instead, there's a halter on my tongue. I have to shout that God's a cod. I scream from steeples. Courselle bombs, with or without warning.
0: My sister tells me that she was walking up Clambrassus Street in Dundalk with him. One evening one one Saturday evening, and a person stepped in front of them a noted member of the i r a and warned him to be careful what he was saying and what he was writing. He didn't help
4: himself because he tended to voice his opinions in certain pubs where it mightn't be the most popular thing to say what he was saying and I know on one occasion he was threatened and uh, he arrived with us the following morning and uh, was telling us the story about how he'd been threatened and uh, I said to him what are you going to do about it and he said uh, I'm going to ignore it because if I don't they won
0: We would be worried when Jim wouldn't be home at a certain time because at that time my mother was at home on her own and um, some of us would be over there. And um, you can imagine this place here at night, pitch black, trees maybe shaking in, in 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 the wind. And I remember I took the dog on a lead, out for a walk, down the road. And as I came up the hill, the dog was sniffing at something in the ditch, as dogs will. And, of course, my mind played tricks with me. Played tricks because I was thinking of Jim, and I kicked what the dog was at with my foot. And I came to the conclusion that it was a body. And uh, I I got really... I'm told I went quite in the face when I arrived back and, and I ran to my mother's house next door to use the phone we had no phone at the time and rang the guards to come out at once which they did and they arrived and went running down and looking at this item in, in, in the ditch and the sergeant one of them shouted back yeah there's something here And he said, don't touch it, don't touch it. And then another yard went running down the hill and he shouted back, there's another one here, you see. And then they began to realise that this was a bit much. When they further examined it, it was a piece of heavy plastic, I think I'd call it, that had blown off a lorry, I think, and had shaped itself into... A body shape stuck into the ditch, you know. And I, I felt ever so silly, but the surgeon said to me, no, 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 you were, you were very right to call us out. But that's the kind of... That wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been thinking.
1: Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But
4: when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra.
0: about the possibility of something happening to Jim as a result of the Troubles.
3: Definitely features in the poetry from time to time. There are various poems specific about that. Um, I think some of them are very angry poems, um, whereby I think he really is giving out about the Troubles and the, the. how we say the, the the nonsensical nature of them.
4: Seamus Ludlow, he's got a lovely poem uh, to Seamus. Seamus was brutally murdered by uh, a loyalist gang uh, who picked him up uh, on the Nurey Road and cruelly murdered
2: him. Seamus, in memory of Seamus Ludlow, found shot dead near his home in the border area when lilacs bloomed in 1976. Drop you hat, and the mouth all goes out, vamping for the dancers, ordering all and sundry out on the floor, forcing bars from bathroom songsters. No greater gatherer of the clans than Seamus, giving him lifts made loads of living laughter. Harmless poor fellow, hardly know how to do you wrong. Anna Vernon knew all this and more. Uh, Jim felt really, really
4: uh, upset. Over, over this, it was, it was, it was. Just, I suppose it was the first time that the troubles really impinged on a local le- level with us.
0: He did write a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, write enough uh, about religion and the consequences of religion. The good side of it, but the, the very very often the bad side of it and I think there's one in the book about him visiting a Protestant school, a Church of Ireland school, you know, and uh, where, 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 he, where he says that he doesn't see that they're particularly bad, these children now. Maybe it, it was kind of thought that they should be, but they're just children, you know. The children in the Church of Ireland school
2: were actually horns. Didn't look one bit like Protestants. What would they like at all? Let me see. Did they act like little Christians? You must think we're all blinkered. Horns and children. Leprechauns jigging around the garden. What'll it be next? Oh, I almost forgot. Smile out of Irish eyes. Shouting goodbye. Aha. Wait till you see them narrowing as they grow.
0: At the bottom of the hill was the priest's house, Father Hackett. Jim and him became wonderful friends. He he would be genuinely interested in Jim in every way. I remember visiting him when he he went away down to live in in County Tyrone, uh, Father Hackett. And in the course of the conversation, he said to me, whatever bit of spirituality I learned... I learned it from Jim. Father Brian Hackett.
2: Disappointing you not to be there. The car there and you not. Like her not turning up. Even when I know she's not out with your man. The trees and the birds are minding the house while you're gone. I'm mourning for monks. Barking dogs. The sun. You're biking like a gas and on your rounds. Now he gloves in. To black my shining song.
3: I think Father Hackett was probably, you know, he would have been a young man at the time and um, was a bit of a creative, I think, and had a real interest, I think, in the arts and drama. and, um, You know, I think, he, I think he enjoyed Jim. I think he encouraged Jim in his writings. There was always an open door in, in the parish house. I think he always had a very uh, compassionate ear uh, in Father Hackett. Somebody he could go to and talk about all his rational and irrational uh, thoughts and beliefs and everything from politics to religion and beyond. In some respects, maybe but for Father Hackett, Jim might have floundered more um, than he did. I think Father Hackett you know, was, was a great helping Ken in keeping him on the straight and narrow.
0: Jim called one night to as he would say himself, to Hackett, on his way home, unfortunately the poor fella ha- had too many drinks, and but he called, and rang the bell, and this was at probably one or two o'clock in the morning. So Father Hackett's put his head out the window upstairs and shouted down, "Who's there?" And Jim replied. It's a sick call. Father Hackett quickly threw on his pants and down the stairs and opened the door and said to Jim, Where's the sick call? And Jim said, It's me. I don't feel myself. I don't feel well. Sobriety was, I would think, a help to him. But it, it... clashed with the fact of being somewhere where he could engage with people in a rollicking mood, you
4: know. That was him actually trying to fight off this depression. If he could get an audience, that would give him a chance to express himself and to... As he said, to, to let the black dog lie down. He constantly referred to the black dog. You know, this black dog was, was, well, was the problem.
2: Black Beauty Down the black road I led black home On a very short rain He kept plodding on I loved him, feared him Peter he's watching me I oh, you're alright Jim. I love big black Darren shout or cry Casey shy Three in a sunny field man horse and boy I should have got sandals for leading black a mile Now I've a bigger fear afraid to die
0: The local doctor wouldn't have the skill or the knowledge to deal with somebody in that condition. I remember him coming into the kitchen on one occasion, maybe thinking he was doing good, and somebody said, well, he's a manic depressive. That's what it was called at the time. And he said, I'll tell you what you are, you're a drunkard.
3: A drunkard. I, I suspect if, if, if he were still alive today, or if he were living his youth, that period of time up until he was 40, in this, in this time, um, I'd say he would have got a lot more help, um, a better kind of help, I suppose. Um, and I think he would have been better understood. I'd say, I'd say a lot of the time they just assumed it was the alcoholism, that that was it and didn't probably totally understand the the depression piece.
0: I remember on one occasion they arrived from the hospital with the with the paddy wagon and came in and Jim didn't want to go and was protesting but there were 3 of them and they put the straps on him and, and took him off. And, and that, was, uh, that was never a nice, a nice experience, you know. At his worst, it, it was so
4: bad that on one occasion, I remember walking into Benny Brady's for a drink after work and spotting him at the end of the bar and seeing that he was in a particular mood and didn't look right at all. And I turned and I walked out. And uh, I remember coming home and I said it to my wife and she said, uh, you should have stayed with him, you know. And uh, I, 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 it annoyed me for a couple of days. And uh, maybe it was six months later, he had come back from this bad spell. And I told him of the incident. And he said, do you know you've done the right thing? I was no company for anybody at that stage. Like, he realised himself that uh, there were times when he could actually, without being aggressive, he could be extremely sorely. And um, one second it was, leave me alone. Uh, the next second was, I want to entertain you. You know, when he was going through the the, the
2: worst of it. I have a precious existence. I am a manic depressive. I walk in the sea of sunshine, but it seldom shines. And when I walk in darkness, sometimes the sun screams. Christ was on a cross. I walk around the stations in an almost endless fog, a forest with few clearings. But I live a precious life, for sometimes the sun
0: Screams. Quite a few of his poems deal with the subject of death. To be writing about death uh, as a young man. I mean, we're talking about somebody who died at 45. When I've exhaled my last breath,
2: and a brown coffin's been put on order, and a dark clay casket is waiting, vacant, in womb-ing earth, and mine's been waked the tolling bell in the chapel is calling my sleepwalking body back to its bed I know my friends and distant neighbours will walk with what's left and see it laid in its casket of clay and a seesaw of shovels will pile earth on earth and knee bent clay will shovel up prayers to an unseen heaven and the women will weep as they walk away and the men will work and lightly talk of the Coffin's content and undertaking while through their sceptic thoughts they hoped to meet me at some great awakening.
0: As it happened, he was a passenger in his own car. He was in the back seat and they were coming from a pub, two other lads along with himself and the, the car came to a right-hand turn which is just over the road there and unfortunately the driver went straight ahead straight into the into the bank and Jim was thrown he was the one who who finished up the worst injured although he was in the back seat he he was taken to hospital but um, within 24 hours he was gone My dad actually arrived into
4: us on a Sunday evening and he said uh, did you know Jim Craven was in an accident? I said no I didn't, of course again we didn't have the sort of instant communication that we have now and uh, uh, he, he said uh, yeah um explained it, give me a detail and uh, he said he's uh, in hospital and I said oh we better go and see what's happening and uh, our neighbour at that stage, Eileen, uh, worked in the hospital then, so went and checked with Eileen and she said, I'll phone and I'll find out what's happening from her own phone in the house. Suddenly I saw her go absolutely ashen and uh, I remember it vividly. I said to her, what?
3: what's the problem?
4: And she said, uh, I don't know how to tell you this, but he's dead.
3: I remember even my mother at home around that time, you know, making the dinner. And I remember my mother taking something out of the oven and she was on her hunkers and she ended up just on her knees with whatever this was on her lap, crying with the oven door open, you know. And so we all knew, God, something has happened, something terrible has happened, something terrible has happened. And it was kind of around that time that we were told, yes, that Jim had, you know, Jim was gone to God. In my memory, it was a huge funeral. Huge, huge funeral. Just people, 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 everywhere, spilling like ants out of the church and down the hill, you know, outside the church in Bridge of Crane, to where the grave was. And a guy, very swankily dressed, in a skirt, playing um, bagpipes.
0: It was the only time that I remember an officiating priest administering the service at the graveside and breaking down in tears and he had to leave and call on another priest to take over. That was Father Hackett. He was by the graveside doing the, the, the necessary prayers etc. and he broke down, started to cry Lucky enough, Father Tom Quigley was there, and he stepped in and took over.
4: But later on that evening, Father Hackett rang me, and, uh, and he said, that was the toughest thing I've had to do, uh, Barry and
2: Jim. Before the first shovelful, an epitaph. All you thoughtful thousands round my grave hear this. I am not away I shine in all your shaven faces whisper through the mystery of trees look that crow carries me for years I drifted here and there now I'm fucking everywhere
4: his epitaph uh, when I remember having discussed this piece with him the actual title of the poem is before the first shovelful and he uh, he said to me, uh, that's, that's what I want to be remembered for. I've often t- thought about it since that d- d- he was still buzzing, he was still creating, you know, at that stage in his life. And I think that's the way he'd like to have He's finished it. wasn't the sort of guy I would ever see sitting at 85 in a wheelchair. The idea of fading away without an audience would not have appealed to him. It was always about the audience and the showman.
3: I suppose, before before we start, we're here to remember this man, uh, Jim Craven, um, the Bard of Balregan. The annual commemoration has been going on now, I don't know, 30 odd years. I'm sure it was the first couple of years it didn't happen, but... Um, so yeah, so every year on his, on his anniversary we, ha- we have a mass and then after the mass we come down to the, to the grave and um, different people uh, each year will come and give their memories of Jim and maybe read one or two of their favourite poems of his. This is one of those, and it's not published, but it, but it's of that, I think, his memories with his nieces and nephews mm-hmm. uh, down the road. Jim, listen, we're talking down here in Lilliput. Stalking. <laughs> now, Jim's grave, if, you, if you've been at it, is slightly different to every other grave because um, it doesn't have your formal headstone. It has a big rock with a shaven face and a few lines from his epitaph, which he wrote himself on the, on the headstone. Um, and it's, it's set on a lawn of grass. So there's no surround. There's no holy, you know, cross. There's no marble. It's just a solid rock sitting on it's the rivering, grass. So
1: I don't know if Lovely anybody poem. else has going to it. I just, I just love the sound of the
0: alliteration, the images, the imagery, everything. Um, rivering.
1: Lilac lacing, leaves. Sun-worshipping green swamps, primrose time. Rainless weeks. Put halts to frothy gallops in June pools. Rain. Rain shower softly.
3: And that's it. And again, it's just another excuse to, to remember by family and friends and, you know, a wider network. And it'll all, we'll always advertise it in the local press. And, you know, some years you'll get a few random unknowns that'll come along. And that's brilliant. Because that's, that's what you want. You want more people just, All oh, right. Who who was he? What was this about? Taking an interest, you know. So that's what the commemoration is about. Yeah.
1: Sunny, shallow
0: kingdom. Boys and girls in fair one's sway. Tender souls testing every stone.
4: Uh, I remember, shocking after he died, somebody saying to me, "If you were to sum him up in three words, what would you probably use?" And um, three words would never be enough for Jim. If you were to ask me for a thousand words, we might be able to get around to it, but he himself would never use three words where
0: 300 would do. I worked my lifetime in Dundalk and district from I was 19 years of age until I retired at 60. And my job was visiting houses all over the town but even up until 10 years ago people would say to me ah, oh yeah oh yeah, I know you now you're a brother of Jim Cravens he was the man that was known
3: <laughs> under the spotlight the centre of attention <laughs> he was somebody we wanted to be around I suppose is the way i put it um, and you know whenever we saw him on the move we wanted to be with him because there was always fun to be had. And it may have been just as simple as bringing you to the river or telling you a wondrous story um, about all the squirrels and the trees across the road from our house and bringing all you know a child's imagination to life and helping with that and uh, no matter what he said we were with him on the journey.
2: All you thoughtful thousands round my grave hear this I am not away I shine in all your shaven faces Whisper through the mystery of trees Look, that crow carries me For years I drifted here and there Now I'm fucking everywhere
1: craven a dynamic genius was produced by little road productions limited for lmfm radio and funded by the broadcasting authority of ireland with the television license fee